Do you have a movie that you watch consistently um, every Thanksgiving or every Christmas? Or, I mean, is there one that... Oh, you mean like the Hollywood movie tradition? Yeah, or, you know, just the the Hayes family tradition. You know, is there is there something that... No, you know, long, for many decades... Um, oh, we're book we would... readers, Joey. Uh, no, we... no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> we, we did many uh, uh, Christmas... Eve or Christmas Day, we would go to the movies. Uh, we'd oh, always yeah, see yeah, something yeah. else, you know, because yeah. so, it's it's a big movie-going day. So, yeah. Um, so I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything offhand, uh, you know, other than usually just just background something on, you know, course of Christmas stories. Yeah, get their twenty-four-hour marathon and all that. What about you? Well, it, it, it should just have its own channel, right? You know, I think it does. Christmas story <laughs> where it just like loops, you know, like over yeah. and over and over again. I think uh, it does. Yeah, I mean, I have a few, you know, I mean, uh, but I, I just it came to mind because we're approaching mm-hmm. Thanksgiving and, and yes. the holiday season and, and the retail stores go insane. You know, Christmas yes. stuff's been out, you know, since October. But uh, <laughs> it, it's it, it so it starts me thinking about, you know, what my list is going to be this year, what I'm going to mm-hmm. actually make it through. Well, so you get, but you get burned out in October because you do a whole yeah. month of horror. I do, uh, and I, you know, but this year I'm trying to really focus on, um, you know, discovering some new holiday movies. You know, so sure, maybe watching some classics, of course, but like trying to find some new stuff that uh, that uh, that I haven't discovered yet because I know there's so much out there, right? Well, I've, uh, I've got three words for you, my man hallmark holiday channel no 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 (laughs) did you know that our state alabama is the number one state of viewership for hallmark oh i completely believe it i was not surprised at all but it was interesting to see it in uh in statistical fact you know i mean but haven't you uh, ever watched it just out of like i've watched it sure it, it out of curiosity and i'm just like I want to claw my eyes out you know at at one point by its it's my goodness i mean i get its appeal but good lord every day <laughs> well i think yeah uh i i think that i'll try anything once right i'll, I'll right. watch anything once and while that formula is is certainly <clears throat> repeated and and you know Here's where we send all of our hearts and thoughts and prayers out to any successful executive living in a big major city who's about to lose their fiance to some hometown right. country like farmer. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you're right. Uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you. But um, yeah, uh, yeah Cheney right. do- <laughs> doesn't know what's about to happen to her. A change in her life. Always love those. She's going to find the heart of Christmas. Uh, I never knew it was lost, but she's yeah. going to find it in Natchez, Mississippi. In Natchez, um, Mississippi. I have, uh, you know, I have uh, lots of friends who work in this genre um, and they make nice money and they don't complain about it at all because, you I'm know, sure it's their bread and butter. Uh, so I think the only criticism that we can probably put at that genre at this point is that it's a little too narrow in its demographic and focus, right? That if anything, we need to blow that genre up. And, you know, why does it have to be a heterosexual Christmas movie? Why can't it be something different, right? Um, yeah. 
So hopefully we'll see uh, some some diversification uh, of, of that genre. We are Lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson here on this, uh, this little uh, talkity talk in the box show that we do. Um, is that what it is? Electronic box? I, I, I'm not, I'm still kind of confused. It's just like, you know, we were born, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're the spirit of the radio. So it's, it's kind of hard sometimes, you know, it's just like your show comes on what? And I'm just like, easy grandpa. We're on the podcast. It's okay. Just <laughs> the influencing brings, machine. That's yes. The influencing it. machine. Uh, we sit in review movies, uh, talk about them, get, try to get deep with them uh, every week. We've got a couple movies this week. Uh, Dr. Watson watched Waiting for Guffman, Christopher Guest's uh, a film from 1996. Not his first film, I need to point out to people. The Big Picture was his first film, and that's a great film of Kevin Bacon. Uh, I looked at the director's cut of Heaven's Gate, uh, Michael Cimino, 1980, as Dr. Watson crosses himself and prepares... <laughs> For, for, I, I, I really, Jeff, I'm genuinely excited because I have on my shelf the, the Criterion Director's Cut of Heaven's mm-hmm. Gate. It's still in the plastic. I still haven't opened it because uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I have seen the original uh, theatrical version. Um, Two hour cut of it. I think, yes, yeah. twice. I've seen it twice. Once in film school and once on my own. And it's yeah. pretty awful. It's, it's pretty bad. It's, yeah. Well, it's incoherent. You know, and that's, I, I guess let's just get into it. All right. Yeah, so we're, I was we're just going to jump right would, into we're, we're just going to jump hoping, right into Heaven's Gate. I was um, hoping you would start, Jeff. I really okay. Would. All right. So for people, uh, Heaven's Gate, uh, uh, brief synopsis for you. Uh, during the Johnson County War in 1890, Wyoming, a sheriff born into wealth uh, does his best to protect immigrant farmers from rich cattle interests. This film has a who's who of, at the time, young up-and-coming uh, American uh, film male actor, uh, Chris Christopherson, uh, Christopher Walken, uh, uh, Jeff Bridges, Sam Waterston, Brad Dourif, um, and then you've got John Hurt, who's in this film also, and Isabella Hubert. I, I mean, just I mean, any... It goes on and on and on. on yeah. and on and on. Um, so as you were alluding to earlier, this, this film... Uh, is a classic example of a film being taken away from somebody, being edited by people who, of course, have no business cutting anything. And that's a studio. Sorry, studios have no business editing films. Uh, Amen. Well, because they pay attention to the the old saying, like, well, all the notes must be good and they must all make sense. It's just like at the end of the day, they don't. You know, you might have one or two good notes in there, but when you start following nothing but notes, you get the two hours cut of Heaven's Gate, which becomes right. an incoherent mess uh, and and doesn't make any sense. And in, in my opinion, unfairly saddles this movie, because what this movie is trying to do is to make the big. I mean, this movie is basically Howard Hawks, right? Like this thing is nothing but. Chimino saying, this is my Howard Hawks film. This is my big CinemaScope Western, all shot outdoors, all, but the seventies take on it being like, well, we're going to build our sets, you know, at the base of this Colorado, you know, river, we're not going to shoot it on the Warner backlot or any of, you know, any of this. Realism. Yeah. You know, and, and this is where, <laughs> this is where seventies films got into trouble That's because right. they were just like their refusal to backlot it 
And, you know, oh, it's got to be New York City. It's just like, Jesus, well, you know, why don't you go ahead and just stick your head in a, in a bowl of mud? Because, <laughs> you know, the nightmare of getting the permits and setting up the shooting schedules and what if it rains? And, you know, all this is just like, yeah, you can shoot on the streets in New York, but it's going to cost you. And, you know, that's coming out the back end somewhere. And this is where uh, 70s, a lot of the 70s filmmakers in this movement you know, they shot themselves in the foot, you know, because it, it was just like, come on, man, just shoot on the back lot. You know, it's just, I, you know, the executives were begging them at the time. The Biskin book, especially, you know, goes mm-hmm. into great detail about all this, about, you know, for all of their bravada, you know, it was new Hollywood that was refusing to make concessions. You know, by the time that they get into power, they're now just like, oh, well, we can do anything we want. It's just like, you know, this is, Heaven's Gate is used as a metaphor for the death of this movement, right? This is the death of New Hollywood. This this comes out this comes out in eighty. It's actually finished in seventy nine. It's filmed in seventy eight. Um, and so, you know, question then I'll pose for you is, you know, did this film really kill the New Hollywood movement uh, of the nineteen seventies? Of course, yeah. Why? I mean, but why? Yeah. why what's, well, what's... I, I think, unfortunately, you know, it's it's uh, uh, the <laughs> it was the buildup of how long it took him to get this, you know, um, to audiences and the amount of money that he spent just created that that sense of directors have gone out of control. Uh, you know, this auteur movement is dead. Um, we just can't let these people go off the rails like this and spend, you know, all of this money um, because audiences had changed um, after Jaws. So, you know, I mean, the expectations <laughs> were were quite different, you know, and so um, I don't remember what the final numbers are on this movie, but I know that they were. They spent a lot and they didn't make a lot. And I know uh, that for a while. Disastrous. Was, yeah. That's the yeah, word I'm like, going to use. Is, yes. is it still the biggest box office bomb of all time? I know it. You know, they that, like they like to saddle it. Those I monikers. Yeah. I don't, like I don't buy it. it. Um, it, you know, it that, didn't that was do a, well. <laughs> yeah. It, that became a blame game for people to be fired, you know, right, and right. for those regimes to turn over at these studios. But, you know, we're also looking at, again, this gave studios finally the example they needed to go, well, we're getting ready to start the multiplex revolution in malls in American, you know, now people, you know, we want shorter films, right. Vases and seats right. to turn more screenings, over. more butts. Yeah. More yeah. screenings, more yeah. butts, more money, you know, and this just rubbed against your Chiminos and your Altman's and your Malik's wrong. Cause they're like, if the story takes three and a half hours, it takes three and a half hours. That's right. You know, and I gotta be honest again, I gotta be honest, this, his this cut of the film is is a little over three and a half hours so you know but again as you and i have talked about in the past you know i didn't get up once like i just completely immersed yeah in it you know just so beautiful Uh, i give you uh the the brilliant brilliant vilmos zygmunt is the DP on this film, who also is a DP of McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Deliverance, a slew of other films that basically are in the National Film Registry. Yeah. You know, he's pretty I'm, good. Uh, he's, yeah, Joey, I think he's pretty good. I think he's pretty good. Um, you know, uh, Bigman just shoots this thing in, uh, you know, 
for other people too. The Steadicam had just come out. And the way that Zygmunt and Chimino used the Steadicam for basically these huge cinemascope type dance sequences. Mm. Um, there's a big waltz in the in the college yard at the very beginning. And then later, of course, the from what I've read too in my research for the film this week, I can't understand why people hated the roller skating bit so <laughs> much. I mean, it's so beautiful. Yeah, it is. And it is. you know, it's just like number one, I sit there and go, wow, they roller skated in 18. I mean, it's almost like a historical lesson, you know. I mean, at the same time, but the way that he just the patience of it, mm-hmm. and you know, like any musical number in a musical. And there are at least three musical set pieces in Heaven's Gate, you know, and I'm just like, huh, well, he's actually honoring the musical. You know, it's it's taking the set piece seriously, yeah. composing it. Um, I'm not quite sure why. He, I think he might have used the Blue Danube, uh, the waltz uh, at the major set piece at the beginning, just because that was what was in popular and fashion at the time. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a nod to Kubrick or you know, any of those things. I just think he's trying to stay period specific um, and as honest as it, as it can be. But that, I mean, that's the most striking thing about this film is, is, is again, seeing the possibilities at the time of what the steady cam was going to be able to do because it was right. still relatively new. Right. And it's just like, I mean, I felt like filmmakers, like this is a, is a Batiker almost of like, this is, I mean, I know the shining is the same time, but you know, the shining sequences are specific about, you know, the, the, the movement of isolation, right? And just like, you know, in terror here, it's more, we use steady cam to show the beauty of movement, right? And it's, it's all the, and I'm sorry, but the fiddle player and the band, like it's, it's, in, it's, in, it's just, God, I was just, just oh, totally wrapped up yeah. in it. It really yeah. did. Like, I was yeah. just like, you know, again, and, and once you get into the story of this, you know, one that it's based on a true story, a uh, little, very lightly, but uh, this Johnson County War thing, you know, at, at the heart of this film is the mistreatment of immigrants, you know, by corporate concern. And this is something Jill and I were talking about it afterwards. I said, I said, it's interesting. I said, you know, it makes me think of Gangs of New York. Because, you know, Scorsese, again, pointing out to us, it's just like people who were like only one generation removed from Ireland were sitting on the docks of New York telling new Irish immigrants to get the hell out, claiming themselves as Americans, right? I mean, we have the same things. We've got this Middle Eastern European, the Russians, the Polish, the Slavics, uh, Yugoslavians, um, who are now in the Midwest, have given up everything, have fled their countries, czarist you know, states and people forget that Russia was a czarist state, you know, <laughs> all the troubles that they've had, they were also a monarchy, you know, uh, if you want to let Dr. Shivago like, you know, romance you by all means, please do. But that was, right. a, rough, <laughs> that was a rough bit. Um, yeah. And all those immigrants were escaping to get the better life, right? If you come to America, you can have a better life, you know, bootstrap theory, all this stuff, it starts to play into this. So that's why I want to pose this question to you then, you know, this, the 70s realist American directors were obsessed with this. Like mm-hmm. you've got Altman with McCabe and Miss Miller. You got Malik with, with Days of Heaven. You got Shimino with Heaven's Gate. I mean, 
what? Yeah, there's the what there's was the, it? A, there's the trilogy right there. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, uh, what, what's the obsession here? Like, what's? Um, well, I think I, I think that those directors were very interested in pointing out where we had failed, uh, like where the origins of the country had kind of started and how sad, you know, using them as ways to reflect about how sad our current state, you know, was at the time. And still is. Like these, well, you, I'm sorry, but we were, I wasn't going to be too depressed there, but I was thinking in that, no, no, in that you, immediate post Watergate world, there was yeah. and post Vietnam, right. That was still very fresh. And that was still sort of the disillusionment of, of the day. Right. Um, well, I mean, also like, I mean, look at right now, the heaven's gate is, is relevant right now. Yeah. You're the treatment of immigration, the, the, yeah. the treatment of, of natural born citizens, uh, the, the, you know, the, the uh, still unbelievable economic disparity between, you know, these people need to be this kind of worker, but these people deserve to have this, right? The, the push-pull that Chimino introduces in this with Christofferson and Hertz characters being highly educated Oxford-Cambridge people, you know, and then, you know, life deals them the hand that it deals them. But, you know, then seeing, you know, Christofferson being the sheriff now of this particular town and and seeing how these people are treated and, and and connecting with them and going like i will do everything in my power to help you but the laws the governance and the money and the power are all going to override me and there's not a fucking thing i can do about it mm-hmm. i mean it's heartbreaking man like just the way that this film is structured is just heartbreaking so you're you're saying that Heaven's Gate in 2022 is just as relevant, if not. Ever oh dear before. Lord, yes. Right. Oh my yeah. goodness, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So we should watch it because it will uh, give us a sort of a mirror. Um, we're we're allowed to see how far we haven't come. Uh, in uh, well, in, I think I think that I think in mentioning the trilogy of films here, I, yeah. I, I think I I would actually encourage people. To, to run that run that trilogy uh, or this tree I'm sorry not trilogy but trio of films right, right. because we're not that far removed hmm. you know and you're you're a McCabe and Miss Miller scholar sir so you know <laughs> you know in your heart the darkness uh, and the contemporariness of, of that these films even made Jesus what now 40 50 years ago they got legs baby. Yeah, you know th- yeah. these guys weren't wrong. <laughs> no, they did a lot right, and I think that's one of the reasons why they're so difficult for you know people talk about how um, well audiences today just don't like slow burn. They don't like to sit still. They don't like to, you know if it's if it's too much story, they're not gonna. I don't believe that you know, they're not gonna invest. I don't buy that. I think that uh, that uh, sometimes we have to be directed to those points right um which is hopefully some of the stuff that we do right as educators is like you know check this out you know watch watch this movie uh your grandparents may remember it uh but um uh you know but it's it's got some meat you know in it um these these films from the um really i would say you could look at that whole decade jeff of the 70s maybe mm-hmm. tack on a little of the late 60s but that whole decade is just riddled with very interesting movies that if you revisit them now you might find like you did with this one that it's even more relevant today than it was uh at the birth of reaganomics in the yeah. uh, in the well, 80s yeah well i mean it's like it's the end of the hangover decade 
too. You know, Heaven, Heaven's Gate is putting a, a stamp in, 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 we only have this in hindsight now, but, you know, again, looking at it and people saying it's the death of the 70s, you know, auteur movement, mm-hmm. um, they're not incorrect in that. But I think that it's an interesting argument to have. It's just like, well, Spielberg and Lucas basically killed it too. Let's not, you know, <laughs> let's not forget that the two main everybody's friend you know it was kind of just like once they made the playing field very uneven you know it was just like they've shouldered as much blame and i never read a lot about that well it's it's yeah it's out there um there there is some criticism uh that points out that they really became what they were trying to fight against right um whether it was inadvertent or not uh it, it it happened you know um, and they, they should shoulder some of the blame for that. Um, but you know, well, sometimes think- those, those movements die out so that they can be reborn, you know, because I can point to the nineties and, and see where we had, you know, a new generation of auteurs, you know, that kind of stood up and, and took the mantle and kind of reclaimed a lot of the spirit of what the auteurs in the, in the seventies film school generation started. Right. right. Um, but I, I think Lucas tried to tried to pay it forward by helping produce a number of films you know without him we don't get uh kurosawa's dreams or you know i know he had a hand in helping schrader make a number of you know funding for a number of schrader films so Mm -hmm. i mean it's just like you know uh spielberg yeah spielberg never does that (laughs) that i know of He has of late, I think, um, within the past five to seven years. But he, he, but if he's listed as a producer, he's usually directing as well. So yes, yes. there's there is that. Uh, there's yeah, there's no question there. I'm I'm fascinated to see his new film, The Fablemans, the Fablemans which is I think, you know going to be his sort of autobiographical film. But I I I I don't know. Now hearing what you're saying about this, it makes me kind of look at at the Fablemans is wonder if that's his like sort of quiet apologia for like, you know, destroying uh, the auteur movement with, uh, with his work. Hey, it's 40 Um, years, you know, it's never 40 years too late. Right. (laughs) I mean, well, it hits you when it hits you, I guess, but um, you know uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I heaven's gate to me, we were we were presented with it in class as an example of a bad movie but then she at the time my my professor was explaining to us that there there wasn't a director's cut at that point no no there wasn't so when we were seeing it you know it was like this is the movie that ended up being made and look at how like you know cumbersome and like you know just awkward it is and they spent all this money and so this is the this is the sort of lore of the movie and then here's the reality you know the studio took the film they did cuts they you know they did not consult him they kind of cut him out of the process they it was an awful awful situation if you're like an artist you know to just have your your work just butcher because this this killed Chimino I think I mean he had a few no, he, films uh, after this, what year uh, the dragons? Pretty I think good? year of the what, dragons in 85? there. I think the Sicilian is in there. Uh, the Lambert film uh, is in there. Maybe one more, maybe, but not but, much, right? I mean, it, oh it, yeah, it, but I mean, then it just becomes you know every film's a failure. 
Right. Um, right. You know, uh, every film can be taken away from him. And uh, that's at least what I got in my research this week was just like, unfortunately, you, you start going down that Coppola uh, wormhole that I can't stand where it's just like it's everyone else's fault. You know, why? why it didn't succeed. And there is that tinge of that, you know, with Chimino. I'm just like, but, but here he's got real beef, you know, cause it's just like, they did take the film away from him and they took the film away from a guy who made the deer hunter. You know, I'm just like, you don't trust this sensibility. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, one of the I, great American films, man. Like, I, it's I know like, it's, 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 it's one of those, that's why it's remained. I think as something that we keep, coming back to because it was presented to me. I mean, that's kind of where I was going with that is it was presented to me as a future film scholar, future films, you know, practitioner. It was presented as a cautionary tale, right? Like this is what can happen when things really go wrong in every way possible and at, a, at an industry, you know, level um, and, and what, you know, can actually happen to your work, you know, it can be taken from you and, and, and butchered and and it can subsequently really ruin your career um so you know good discussions that came out of that were like how do you develop good relationship with your producers how do you develop relationships with with editors how do you know how, how do you foster that post-production process so that those things don't happen right um but at the same time i think you've got people who are at that studio level who are thinking bucks, bucks, bucks. bucks. I can't show a four hour movie. That's, you know, and the irony of that, Jeff, is that, you know, they had the same issue with the Godfather, right? You know, it was too long. They wanted him to cut it uh, because they wanted to do more screenings, you know, per day so that they could make more money. And the reality was the Godfather played in theaters forever. Right. It just just stayed. It lasted. Right. Because, um, people are indeed willing to invest, you know, that kind of money. Uh, well, also, um, I mean, at, at the time, this is again before our current situation where we're spoiled now, you know, and can watch anything and they'll release anything to us if we put up a big enough stank about it. And I mean, back then it was just like a movie, a town might have one movie theater with one screen. Right. right. So the Godfather is going to play there for two years. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You know, I'm from the deep South. I understand the yeah. one, you know, like we're the changing only... the movie next week, Jeff. It's going to be Godfather two, right. It's yeah. been two right. years. And then they, it's already caught the up next one they, the cycle. they caught up with the cycle, but uh, yeah, I mean, again, I just, I can't, there's an intermission in the director's cut you know, um, which again is nice. And I still sat there. I was doing my notes, you know, I was while the intermission was going on. So that was nice. You know, (laughs) Uh, it gave me a second to catch up uh, while I'm writing. And if the story is good, if the director is competent, if you allow an arc of characterization to occur, which all of that happens in the Heaven's Gate director's cut. Right. There's maturation here. And speaking to editing, you know, again, as you and I know, and I think we use these sometimes in our lectures, it's just like a movie lives and dies in editing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and you, I would actually say for the, for the crazy brave, right. See both versions of this film, right. Watch the director's cut first, then watch the studio cut of it. You can do this game too with Brazil, right? There's like three versions of this film that exist. Criterion put out three versions of the film in the Love Conquers All set. You know, and if you've never seen the Love Conquers All version of Brazil, it is so miserable and convoluted. 
and just like who the who signed off on this? <laughs> like this is this is awful. Like this is awful. But that's a lot of people saw that version of the film, judged that film based on that version. Yeah. You know? And and you know I'm no Gilliam apologist, but you know his his vision for that is very specific, and you need to sit through it. You know you got to you got to commit to sit through two plus hours of you know of what it is to get the intention of it, to get the arc of it. Could you do want to play a, a 2022 uh, producer role here for a second? Sure. It, is there a way that you could reboot Heaven's Gate in 2022 as a limited series? Let's give it six episodes. That's six hours. I'll go. Four. So four, you think four? I'm already getting you down to four. Yep. We can do, if his cuts three and a half hours, you can do this in four. Okay. So if we rebooted it today with, you know, Florence Pugh and let's, let's put some, you know, hot young stars in it. Would this appeal in a longer episodic format? Would it have greater success in 2022 than it did in 1980? Hmm, that's an excellent question because, you know, the, the depends on what side of the episodic narrative you wish to fall on. Do you wish to fall on? You have to create cliffhangers at the end of each episode, or are you just going to cut the thing stone cold uh, to me? Things that are cut stone cold is just like, well, this is just a four hour movie cut into one, you know, right, into bits, right, right. you know, classic uh, television episodics is you have a cliffhanger of some right. kind or something to hang your hat on. You know, Will Williams just, survive off the cliff. Uh, tune in next week. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that old. Yeah. It's, it's duo it's, in danger. Yeah. I mean, so, but I will throw this out there because, um, you know, I think it's relevant. Like, it, it, you know, you're, you're talking about Heaven's Gate, which is a film that is uh, pays tremendous amount of attention to historical detail and accuracy. Right. And yes. that's one of the things that they spent the money on. And so we have that as, you know, like it's roller skating, right. It's like, this is authentic to the time. So, what about the work of, say, Taylor Sheridan in 2022, like with the success of Yellowstone and the success of 1883 and now 1923 we're getting with Harrison Ford, right? Like these are episodic kinds of to me, they're like take out the cliffhangers, but they're basically like, you know, 10 hour movies because yeah. um, and they they do that kind of epic um a grandiose uh, historical sort of paintbrushing where you're, you're jumping back and forth in time with a tremendous amount of detail placed on, on historical accuracy and um, shooting in real locations. Right. Like, do, sure. you know, so I don't, I think there's maybe an appetite out there for uh, that kind of content today. So I don't know if you're listening, Netflix producer, <laughs> You would certainly get some amazing press to start if you, you know, like also sponsor box office yes. bomb gets rebooted as, you know, Netflix limited series. You're already going to get some press and some chatter oh, yeah. about it. Right. So just find your star. Right. Like find your your Harry Styles or whoever it needs to be. Well, you're still uh, holding on to last week really hard. And it's good to go. <laughs> I'm just throwing those out. Right. Um, you know, as, as, uh, as possibilities, you know, you get Brad Pitt to play the Chris Christopherson role, right. Some, hmm. something like that. And you could, uh, you could reboot this, um, but it wouldn't have the historical 
um, uh, connections in the sense that it wouldn't have Heaven's Gate would no longer have that place in cinema history as that kind of marker because so many film historians and film scholars point to that movie as like we've been saying the turning of the tide so it would be it would be interesting to uh, to see if the industry could even reboot it I I think you just get calls like are you kidding are you kidding Heaven's Gate. You're gonna reboot. Right. Did you really just suggest that? But I'm but, telling but you. But then you. But then you'd have to look at them and go, "You've seen the cut, right?" Like, right. and 99 right. of them are going to say, no. "Are going to say like, no, right?" It's just right. like, well, sit your ass down. It's a little over three and a half hours. Turn off your devices, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. they have an intermission built in, so you can actually check your phone and everything when you you know want to be done with it. But now, tell you know, reevaluate the film. Like in 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 watch the just watch the film like that that's again you know you can't you can't live on myth alone you know that that's what's so surprising to me but that's how business is done in in right. in in, uh, in uh, Hollyweird. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, at some point somebody pitched Sharknado, right? Uh, and somebody said yes. And the, there's been the, six of those. That's right. Um, do, so this does this go on your podcast list now? Are you are you going to drop it out there for the students and say no? Because four hours, it's commitment. Trying, trying. We teach intro, yeah. And I think you know I've had these conversations about putting longer films uh, on there, and and we know at the end of the day we're being realists. It's just like we want to to get their juices going, right, so that they go to the next bit. Uh, this is the next bit, you know, Heaven's Gate is the next bit, just like we would say that, you know, Citizen Kane is the next bit, like, you're, yeah, you know, yeah. um, why, you know, I'd rather that I would rather them spend time talking to me about Clueless than, you know, right. trying to flex a muscle they don't yet have quite fully developed. Right, right, right. You know? Fair and, enough. I would, and I would say that for any, for, you know, for anyone. Um, I, this, by the way, this is not an inaccessible film. This is a he made this film to be seen to it's yeah. very coherent and well paced. And the story is not complicated. It's as old. Like I said, it's a Howard Hawks Western. Like yeah. it's not anything more complicated than that. So, uh, yeah, folks, Heaven's Gate director's cut. You said Criterion has it. I, I watched it on it's on Amazon Prime right now. Like, oh, for, wow. Nice. nice yeah, yeah. For, if you have a prime subscription, you can you can watch the director's cut of it on Amazon Prime, which is what I did. But I'm glad to hear that Criterion has it. And by the way, get it. It's out a Blu-ray. The, yeah, it's a okay, Blu-ray. Get it out yeah. of the cellophane. Okay. <laughs> Make some time. Watch the film. All right. Well, now do. that I'm done chastising him, uh, we're lonely PhDs. <laughs> Dr. Jeffrey Hayes, Dr. Joseph Watson. Uh, we just got done talking about uh, Heaven's Gate uh, from Michael Cimino from 1980. And we're moving on now to uh, someone I've, I've wanted to, to, to get into. I'm glad you're, you're going to be the first out of the gate with this. Um, Christopher Guest uh, in his film Waiting for Government from 1996. You've seen this, right? Uh, yeah, I've seen this. Yeah, I, <laughs> a few well, times. <laughs> I, I've recently recommended it to a couple people that had never seen it. Uh, you know, they they had heard about it, right? But they had never, um, they had just never seen it. And so I'm glad to know that it still holds up and it's still just as damn funny uh, as it was in '96 when it came out. Um, you know, uh, waiting for Guffman is a is a mockumentary. Uh, so we're, you know, think The Office. Right, people. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> he was um, doing this way before the office. Yes, so. uh, um, you know, um, 
And so we're, we're um, yeah. So the movie uh, takes place in the fictional town of Blaine, Missouri, uh, Missouri. And Blaine is getting ready to celebrate their 150th um, anniversary. And as part of that uh, town celebration, they have asked the local uh, thespian extraordinaire, the wonderful Corky St. Clair, uh, played by Christopher Guest, to direct a musical called Red, White, and Blaine that details the history of the town. Um, the uh, um, yeah, so so we follow basically. This is kind of a BTS mockumentary with uh, with some actual show footage, you know, um, at near you know near the end. But the the big sort of main thing in the story that drives it is uh, Corky uh, sends off um, uh, an invitation to a. a potential Broadway producer by the name of Mort Guffman to come visit the the town and, and see the show uh, in the hopes of maybe getting it <laughs> taken to Broadway. Mr. Guffman says that he's going to come. Uh, and so, um, you know, everything is sort of circling around waiting for Guffman to, uh, to arrive. Um, and so in that sort of 90 minutes or so that take place um, in the interim, before we figure out if Guffman's going to come or not, we see the rehearsal process and we see the members of the town um, getting interviewed, you know, kind of about their life, but also about, you know, the process of putting on a show. Uh, the film really definitely speaks to anybody who's ever worked in theater or music or the you know stage music, like the arts. Uh, it was it was always pitched. I remember watching it originally. It was just like it was pitched to me as like, you know, ultimate theater nerd movie. I mean, really, it kind of addresses all of the stereotypical things that you would see both in amateur and kind of semi-professional kind of theater realms. Um, I mean, I think they're they're all kind of there, um, you know, fights between, you know, the music director and the director. You know, I really I really think we should be working on the music um, we need, to, you know, and. And uh, can I talk know, to you for a second? Yeah, <laughs> Bob, Bob Balaban is Bob Balaban. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, from the from the it's the day of the show, y'all. I mean, just just this, this, I mean, so you've got comedic legends at this point in yes. this show. I mean, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, if that doesn't sell you, I'll keep going. Parker Posey, Fred Willard, Brian Doyle Murray, oh, David Willard, Cross. Man. David Cross, Larry Miller, like th these are these are really, really talented and skilled yeah. comedians. Just anytime and... you unleash Fred Willard on anything, just buckle up because he's he's going to get you one way or the other. He's he's going to get you. You're going to laugh. You want me to take the stool? You want me to strike it? See, we know the we know the terms. We're we're experienced. Um, I I <laughs> he. He, you know, with the yeah, there's that other part too that always gets me about him is when they're, you know, they're doing the show and they're backstage, and his wife Sheila Catherine O'Hara is working on his makeup and hair, mm -hmm. and she's like, "I've got to get myself." And he's like, "Ah, oh, just a couple more curls up here, and then you then you can work on yourself, right?" Uh, it's it's just this is so so, and and then to know Jeff that that um, eighty percent of this movie was improvised. All right, so let's talk about. It, I want to. I want to talk amazing. about that for a second. It's just amazing. Let's 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 give people. Okay, so so guest kind of whether he intended to or not, you know, sort of revolutionized this type of 
yes. you know, filmmaking. You know, I mean, some back- could point to, you could say Spinal Tap kind of started it a little bit, I guess, but like, well, but Mike, mm, no, see, because not like this, was, you know, he, this is different. Yeah. He directed a SNL short. He was on SNL one year with Harry Shearer and Martin Short. That was their superstar year. Remember, I think it was 84. Right. Yeah. Because um, they were trying to save the show, you know, so they got ringers. In other words, you know, Billy Crystal and Martin Short, and they signed everyone for a one year contract. They're going to bring it back to life. I know Christopher Guest directed this one short. It's got Harry Shearer and Martin Short in it, and they play synchronized swimmers. Do you remember this short? <laughs> no, but you okay, look it, it up. Yeah. It is, Just put it in the Discord. I will. It is <laughs> the beginnings. You see it. Like you it's just like, it. okay. oh yeah. Like it's real clear. Um, well, I don't know how appropriate it is these days. That's another problem with with Guffman, is that you know, um it's got. 2022 issues as I is as we you think have so now, I do I do I think Corky himself you know is it is just because like, of just gay representation it just kind of stereotypes and yeah and I was surprised when he brought him back in mascots honestly because I thought you know I don't know it just didn't make sense <laughs> I mean other than bringing back the Parker Posey character also is just like right. I don't know what it was doing there but it, yeah well mascots I love Corky St. Clair you know I, no I, I, mean, I love I just, it He's yeah. such a great, endearing character in his sexuality. I don't know. I, I it's I, cork, quirky to me was always quirky. Didn't have anything to do with us being gay. He was just, you know, no, no, I, no, I've no, known yeah. so many theater people, you know, yeah. who uh, who have his personality and spirit, you know, towards um, towards directing. Uh, um, that that, it just, com- you, that complimentary yet. It's not complimentary way of saying things. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think we're going to have to redo this. Right. Well, yeah. Like it's, it's just that I, I, I don't know. Um, well, it's, it's I, part yeah, of the, I guess, I guess I can see it if I, you know, if I really yeah. sort of. And I'm not trying to it. say, I'm not trying to put it in that because I, I would, but I'm just saying like, I have to do that because that's something that we've made a point to on the show of pointing out to people. It's just like, you know, uh, last week when we were talking about better off dead, it's just like, I'd rather just give people a list yeah. of things, yeah. I, you know, where yeah. it was just like, Instead of you know making a, a blanket statement, so I apologize for that. Um, but anyway, before we get too off track, so the improvised script, okay, and, and and here's over the years how I've understood Guest himself is actually Eugene Levy's talked about this too. You know, everything is outlined, like they know that you know these are the beats, this is the story, we have to move the story forward here, like any good improv class, I mean, it's just not, you know, pulling stuff out of your butt, you know, there's actual, your your goal is to have things move forward. Yes. So when you say it's 80%, that's not surprising to me, because an outline would be about 20% of a movie, right? And it's just like, the trick that guest is able to do time and time again, in this format with Eugene Levy, also as his co-writer, is being able to create truly full flesh characters like that are just right out of the right out of the packaging like you know what i mean like these people they feel like they exist you feel like they breathe and that is a real tip of the hat to really accomplished improv performers who go okay who is this person who is this character you know do they have an uh, you know do they have an accent you know something like that so i mean i'm just curious you know what what can you speak to about the improv quote unquote improvised script yeah um i mean i can tell you that well i'll 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 answer that two ways i'll tell you what guest 
said that he did. And then I'll tell you what my experience has been in that working in that format. So for the film, uh, Christopher Guest said that he did 10 minute recording sessions um, of particular scenes that there was sort of um, a goal written like you know this has to happen or we right. want this to come out at some point in the scene some way somehow and uh and then you know he sort of let the 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 actors take over after that now um in terms of the character creation like the names the professions the you know kind of backstory of the characters he completely turned that over to the actors to sort of like develop and, you know, and, and, and come up with. Um, and so uh, the only thing that he said he actually scripted was the lines for the actual show, Red, White, and Blaine and the music for, um, uh, for, for the show. Um, everything else was just sort of, sketch I was gonna say do you think then based, that you right? did you I'm guessing then that Eugene Levy probably did the points, right? Or is this like maybe he was in charge then of saying this scene got to get us to this scene, got to get us to this scene, right? I'm I'm sure that it was quite collaborative. I can tell you that, you know, so just transitioning then to my experience working in this, it's very different when you're working on stage for it versus working on screen. I think in some ways screen is a little more liberating because you can stop and start and go back. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you know, you could find something that really works and then, you know, and, and somebody's recording it, you know, and then it becomes, you know, kind of, you can, you can transcribe it at that point. Um, uh, so I, I, you always start out an improv with like a, an objective or a, you know, a, a series of barriers or an objective. And then you, you kind of work your way through, finding the beats and finding the moment to have those reveals. And there's a lot of mess ups, right? I mean, there's a lot of things it's like, okay, that, that doesn't work. Or you, you go off into the corner and, you know, but you, you, you want to, uh, you want to give, um, you want to give enough to your fellow actors in, in the scene with you so that they can find the beats and pop. It's, it's extremely hard to do. Um, but if you can get into a, into a good rhythm if you get the right sort of cast and 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 synergy there like this kind of move like it can really be yeah. pretty 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 stunning now i would think that the scenes that were interviews right where it's just one-to-one -one and the character is on screen just kind of talking that was probably a lot easier you know for the actors because yeah. they're not having to give to 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 someone else in the scene the hardest stuff has got to be the group stuff right because mm everybody's got it's like um jazz in a way like everybody's got to have their moment to kind of come in yeah. and get their one zinger um but but the as long as the overall goals and objectives of the scene are being met to transition us into what's coming next but i don't even know if it was that coherent jeff because he said guess that he had 60 hours of footage wow. at the end that he had to chop into 90 minutes you know so who knows what what didn't work and didn't make right but um that's a lot of footage jeff um <laughs> um so obviously he did some things really well uh because he had a lot of great footage um to to go through um so that's what i'm saying about i don't know how coherent it was because you might have had goals and objectives for one scene but then you're not it doesn't necessarily directly connect to anything coming next so you've got to 
kind of almost film those things autonomously, except I would imagine the rehearsal stuff, right? Like that was probably sequential, you know, and, and showing the BTS ad-libbed rehearsal scenes, right. Where they're practicing the show. Those were probably sequential. And if I don't know how he shot it in what order, but I would probably shoot those scenes first, you know, so that you get all that stuff kind of in the can and then you can kind of branch off and, for, for it can people, pop back to those moments. And for listeners who might not know this, you know, because students don't know this, you know, films are shot out of sequence, right? You, you most build your usually, movie. I mean, yeah. not always, but most of the time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is the more popular method of of making a film because it's you have to easier. shoot out of sequence. Yeah. So you so you have to keep up with a lot. Um, so why? Well, that's why? a burden on the actors, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you're shooting a scene. I know we ran into this on Magic Hour where you know we're shooting stuff that's really emotional. It's like happening at the end of the movie. But this is like the first time this actor's on camera, right? So like how big do they go? How soft do they go? How, you know, like how are they going to play it? Because they're still freshly inhabiting the character, right? So to ask them to be at that emotional point that they meet at the end to do that first, you know, that's a big ask, right? Um, the, the good actors can do it, but, um, but it does take a moment, you know, when you're shooting out a sequence, especially on the, on the actors and your continuity people, you know, they have to be very on their toes for that stuff, but yeah, sorry. I just, no, no, not at all. Like, so why, why is it that this one always gets missed, but we go right to best in show? I don't know. Um, I, you know, I mean, this is just as clever. This is just as funny. Uh, actually, like you mentioned more appealing because honestly, uh, you know, I'm more attracted to a story about small town, you know, goodness. And maybe that's just me being a Southerner. Maybe that's why he picks Corey to have the Southern accent. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite clear on that, but uh, it's taking a dig at that for sure. Uh, you know, bless your heart. It just, okay, that, that'll, Jeff. that'll, it's okay. It's um, but yeah, I mean, I've always thought, you know, Guffman doesn't get its due because, you know, people instantly go, Oh, best in show, you know, best in show. And I'm just like, I don't know. What do you think? Maybe he had better marketing. Uh, I, you know, at that point, maybe people understood the genre a little bit better because Guffman became kind of a home video hit. Um, oh yeah. It was that one again, it was getting passed around, around. you know? Yeah. Um, it wasn't, uh, it made, uh, almost 3 million in the box oh, wow. office and it only cost you know, six figures to make. So it, I mean, it made money. Um, uh, but I think it was the style and the inventiveness of that kind of mockumentary style that he perfected um you know he did he did two others right i mean it was best in show for your consideration uh, there's another one that's a about, mighty wind um, the mighty uh, wind right uh, um yeah so i mean he kind of created his own auteurish genre right of mockumentary well it's his it's his wes anderson world you know yeah, so there I kind you go. Of, yeah. it's kind of how i like to always look at it but you know waiting for guffman feels in, in recent years when I watched it or was rewatching it, you know, again, I, I, he had made uh, uh, the big picture and one other film uh, before Guffman and, and they didn't fare so well. So there's something in Guffman that speaks of someone who's going, well, this is my last chance. So to hell with it. You know what I mean? Like this, it, it has that spirit about it. Like that, yeah. you know, He's, he's just saying like, well, I think this is going to be my last chance of doing this. So at least let me do this. Right. 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 Um, yeah. And that also speaks to the story itself. It right. Does. I mean, this is, yeah. It so, I mean, it's, it's not surprising to me because he's, you know, Christopher Guest is 
is I like him as a lot. It, it's hard to pin him down though, because he's just such a quiet, you know, family or the husband of Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, um, but you start looking at his track record. It's like, he started out at the lampoon, you know, doing the radio hour yeah. then did the lemmings Broadway show, um, you know, uh, has always been musically involved making, you know, music comedy in some way and then spinal tap and all that, you know, he's always been around in the background. But it was just like, unless you knew he was there, you wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't right. know. And um, this story of an underdog just, oh, yeah, that, just, yeah. just smacks of him. Yeah. You know? There's no, you, you're rooting for these people by the time Uh-oh. that the show is, is, is going, you see the train wreck that the show is, but somehow there's this endearing hope, right. That, that it's maybe gonna, you know, get, some kind of accolade right but then the reality sits, sets in that it's like no that's not going to be this kind of movie you know it's not going to be a, a cinderella story in right that, and he, in and he touches on this in the big picture right like right, this is right. a lot you know the young film students who are trying to you know break into the business and unfortunately a film that got more credit for that was uh, swimming with sharks yeah um yeah. you know but basically i, I think the big picture is a better film i do too sharks. I, you know, swimming with sharks fan. is just Kind of like when you watch, uh, the only reason you watch uh, In the Loop uh, is to watch Peter Capaldi absolutely tear someone down verbally, you know, and, and you know, and Nucci's, you created Veep, you know, I mean, watching him do that thing. <laughs> right. Where, right. Uh, that's that's kind of what Swimming with Sharks is. And the big picture is just a better movie about the same thing, basically. Yeah. I think, would you, would you say, Jeff, that Guffman, one of the things that I was really taken by, cause I watched it again this week for the first time in a while and it's still fresh. But one of the things that I really, really like about it is that he is somehow able to capture like these small nuances of the human condition, like just, just the, these small manners. And I'm sure it's just actor talent being able to, to, to do it. But like mm-hmm. Parker Posey stuff so good. is just so, you know, it's just I've known people like that, you know, who just that's that's the way they talk. And that's the way those are the topics and the things they want to talk about. And maybe it's just because, you know, like you're saying, we've had exposure to, you know, small town uh, uh, life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've met, you know, the 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 inspirations for for stories about places like Blaine. But um, uh, but yeah, just he's able to do it. He's able to capture it, you know. Her her rant about what she does at the DQ, you know, I mean, it's funny, but it's like that's reality. There's this just sort of this nuance that that he was able to capture with those things that I think that's one of the reasons why it kind of stands out as a little bit more uh, authentically inauthentic. Right. I, I don't know what the best way is of describing it, but like uh, it's different from, say, Best in Show, where those those characters, while real just come across They're very cartoony so yeah. cartoony right whereas these these characters in blaine I, I i believe that they really exist you know i mean they're just there's there's a reality to their nuances that i think is is lost in in some of his later work but that's well, i don't know in, in in a mighty wind the uh, o'hara and levy playing the the long suffering singer songwriter couple um and speaking to what you're talking about like the moment at the end, the cathartic moment of them performing on stage again together. 
I cry. Like, it's just like, it's so, it's so good because these yeah. are, again, you feel for these people. Like this is, again, this, he has this amazing magic trick where it's just like, he's, it, it's not surprising again, if he's filming every film with like 60 hours of footage, then right. this is the method. And the method right. is I'm going to get the best performance. Right. Possible. Right. And right. at the same time that shows some sort of depth in art. Right. So, I mean, that's, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> who wants to shoot that much that much footage but again maybe he's just one of the all-time most patient people on the planet yeah uh you can get in touch with us a number of ways uh you can go over to our discord that we were discussing earlier the link is in our show notes you can email us lonelyphds at gmail.com uh please subscribe uh, rate and review the show on Apple, Podbean, or whatever your podcatcher is currently. And until next time, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. I'm Dr. Joseph Watson. We'll see you then.